The Copywriter Club podcast is sponsored by Airstory, the writing platform for professional writers who want to get more done in half the time. Learn more at airstory.co forward slash club. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 58 as we chat with financial copywriter Jake Hofberg about his path to becoming a copywriter and choosing the financial niche, writing long-form sales pages and VSLs, what a new writer should do today to break into financial copywriting and advertising to the affluent. Jake. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Uh, it's great to have you here. We are excited to learn a little bit more about you and your niche and how it all came about, which is probably a good place to start. Let's talk about your story and how you, you know, became a copywriter. Sure. Uh, So I guess the story probably actually starts in 2008, 2009. And I got a copy of Evan Pagan's Get Altitude training. Forget how I got it, but I did. And that was really my first exposure to direct response. Just this whole world of people that were you know, making money on the internet and, and running these virtual businesses and putting words together and getting paid. And I, I just, I thought that was fascinating. The reason why being I was in direct sales at the time and I was knocking on doors and kind of doing it the hard way. And man, it's, it was just so, so awesome sounding. Right, so I probably spent the next five, six, seven years uh, on and off trying to get into internet marketing and figure out how to info product business. I kind of went down that rabbit hole for a long time and, and uh, tried a lot of things that did not work over the years. This is all while I was still doing sales and switched sales jobs a couple times. And I think it was two years ago, something like that. It was it was the I think July of what's it's 2017, so 2016, no 2015. I was running a consulting business and I had that that moment that everyone has at some point in their life where they're just like, F it, I'm done with this. I'm tired of this crap. And I had a not so friendly conversation with effectively my boss, who was my only client at the time and you know, I was making good money. And I basically fired myself after that conversation. <laughs> and so you know, I had some I had some cash saved away and I was like, all right, figure something out. And I, I don't want to go back and do sales. I don't want to get a nine to five job or do any of that stuff. So I just need to figure this out. And you know, I knew firsthand how hard it was just to run a business and how hard it was to you know, try and build websites and all this other stuff. And so somewhere along the way, it just clicked where it's like, okay, you know, I can sell. And that's made me basically employable for any company ever because I can do that. So if I can just figure out just the sales part on the internet, and I can just learn that. And I can just get paid to do that. And I don't have to mess around with all this website building or any of this other nonsense. You know, I can just start there. That was how I figured out that copywriting was a real thing. And that there's like people that make lots of money and all they do is write copy. And they don't, they don't do anything else. I was like, all right, that sounds really good. Let's, let's try that. And so, you know, I bought all the courses and read all the books and, you know, did all the things. And after a couple months of doing that, and so I was just like, all right, 
I just want to make money. So where's that? And it was financial. That's where everyone said it was. And it was in the financial niche. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to do that. And it was super duper hard getting started. I knew nothing about finance. I could work an Excel spreadsheet kind of okay. And that, that was about as good as my finance skills were. But I was determined to make this happen. There wasn't really any other option for me at this point. So got a bunch of books on investing and started reading the financial news and was going through whatever swipe files of things. And I kept seeing these sales letters from Agora come up and the Motley Fool and these other big financial publishers. And so at one point I was like, I wonder if they're hiring copywriters. Probably are. And I kept hearing about how much money these people were making. And so I basically just cold called Agora, like all the franchises inside of Agora. There's probably about 20 of them. Motley Fool, you know, just all, all the big names with no experience, no portfolio. I'd never written copy. I think I had had like one other $50 job I got off of a job board for like the dating manager. It was something like that, right? And I went from that to somehow managing to convince Agora to hire me freelance and remote, which is apparently not a thing that happens ever. And so wait, so wait, you had like not written any other copy and you got hired by Agora just from a cold pitch. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. So that's what happened. Essentially what wound up happening is I asked, you know, if they need to spec work and basically everyone said no. And one person was like, yeah, we could use some stuff. And so like, can you write advertorials? I was like, yeah, totally. I can No, never written one. Right. So uh, can you send me an example? And so they sent me one. I wrote, I think four things and they liked some of them. They're like, yeah, we see some potential. And I basically just bugged them and sent them new ideas and like copy edited, you know, pages and found spelling errors. And I, I just, I just like was like a dog with a bone, man. I just wouldn't let it go. And I think I just wrote him <laughs> down. And after <laughs> like this guy, Jake, gosh, let's just say yes. And then after like two months of basically just like working for free and just, you know, just sending them all kinds of stuff. Like, all right, all right, we'll pay you for real. And then I got a contract. And then that was literally how I started freelancing. Yeah, I just didn't give up. And I was super persistent. And that was how I got hired. Okay, wow. there's a lot here. I know we both want to unpack everything you just said. So for specifics, when did when did you start pitching Agora? Is this, you said two years ago? Or is this already a year ago? So it would have been like December 2015 was when I was like, all right, I'm going to do financial. Yeah. And okay. then I started like cold emailing, cold calling, just whatever I could do to get to talk to someone. And then in January was when it kind of took about 30 days for them to go from like, yeah, we could use some stuff because I mean, you know how that is, right? They're super busy and it's, it's not personal. They just didn't get back to you because they got other stuff to do. Right. And you're not even on their radar. I mean, you're yeah. barely there, right? So, and then, so it's kind of like January, February was sort of just this me trying to hustle into getting stuff. And then March was when I started actually getting checks in the mail from Nibora. Let's start with. <laughs> Okay, so once you realize I want to go into financial and you find Agora and you know you want to work with Agora, what did it look like when you jumped into this pitching process, you know, to even get the right list of names? Like what did you have to do behind the scenes to make this happen? And what did you, I have so many questions. And what did you say in that pitch email? And I have like five other questions, so that's it for now. It's going to be really dumb and really simple what I'm going to say, which is why most people just won't do it. So <laughs> But I do because that's how I did well in sales. So I went on LinkedIn. I typed in, you know, Agora or whatever. And 
And if you look hard enough, you kind of know who's got a publishing company. You just kind of search for them. And I looked up, I think it was like publisher, you know, marketing director, copy, anything that looked like that. I also reached out to people that were copywriters at those franchises as well, just to try and you know, work that way. And I think this was the email. Hi, name. I'm a direct response copywriter. Do you hire freelancers? Question mark. Jake. And that was the email. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. It, it hardly even feels like a pitch. Awesome. Some people responded and they're like, you kind of get the like, you know, we don't really, but if you're super good kind of thing, it's like, you know, we only hire in-house, which really is code word for like, we, we would like you to hire in-house, but, you know, we'll take it where we can get it. Right. Kind of thing, which I didn't realize until later. And that I, but literally, if that was, you know, people would respond and, you know, some people said, but like, yes, kind of, but you need to be good. And then just... One person is like, yeah, we do. And then it's like, great. Can I do some stuff on spec for you just so you can try me out? And then like, sure. Or they're like, no, we're not interested in that. So that was it. It really doesn't complicated. And then, oh, and like lots of rejection in the middle was what. <laughs> How much rejection? I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I called every single franchise. All. And one said yes. And that was just in Agora. I tried calling like the VIP hotline numbers from the order forms to see if I could get someone on the phone that way. I emailed them several times and then repeat that with just the other big people. But yeah, it, it took some effort. I think that's actually really important though, because you know a lot of times we talk about, hey, you need to go out and cold pitch the clients that you want. And so we'll send an email. And when we don't hear back, maybe we send a second email, but there's you know, no follow-up or there's no, you know, keep going, you move on to the next person, right? And here you're saying, look, I want to work for Agora. And you tried every single person and you're going after it for, you know, it sounds like a month, maybe even longer of just hammering them. I, I want to work for you. I want to work with you, whatever that is. And there was a little bit of like, fake it till you make it right in here <laughs> when they're like, hey, have you done this? And you're like, yeah, sure. I've done this. So, Basically, you created copy to show them that you have some skills, and then they allowed you to take on more and more until finally you were in the door. That's what it sounds like, right? Yeah, basically. It's, again, it's, there's, there's nothing super... like This isn't really all that complicated. It just, just takes, it takes work. work. And yeah, it's a key ingredient. Yes. That one thing people don't want to hear. Take work. But it's true. So when you were talking about you know, your career before you became a copywriter and the focus on door-to-door sales and selling, how much of that translates to what you do today as a copywriter? How much does that impact what you write? You know, are you using the same tricks, you know, whatever that is in, in your copy? Sure. So I think it's impossible for me to give any sort of real quantitative, how much did this really help me? The only thing that I can say is that I don't care what you're doing. You need to, you need to know how to sell. And so did it help me have confidence that I could go land jobs? I mean, 100%. I just had so much experience being in front of people and asking them for money. Like, I'm, I'm just kind of cool with that part, which is like, I feel like I, I did the opposite of what most people who want to write for a living did, where they're like, I want to be a writer. And then like, they got to do this whole business thing. I'm just like, I want to make money. And then I can do that with writing. And so <laughs> I started like the other side I came from as a salesman for, for years, for like a decade. This is what I did. So I was very, very comfortable with the deal making side of this and understanding that, um, you know, you, you got to think about long term client value and relationships because 
And there's a lot of stuff that I did in my other career where, you know, didn't really make a lot of money on the front end, but make a lot of money on the back. I think I just understood how that worked. And, and yeah, it did also help that, you know, if you sold stuff to people face to face, you kind of understand how persuasion works. Totally. Right. But there's just no getting around having to learn how to structure it in writing because there's just a lot of things that you can't do in writing. You can do face to face that really make it easier. I would like to jump back into the contract you had with Agora and that first contract. Like, what did that look like or include? And just for, you know, people who are curious about that. So, this is going to sound completely backwards as well. <laughs> I did not do this as well. So, how I pitched it, which again, I just, this just isn't what most people are thinking. And also keep in mind that, like, I had money saved away. And my wife was also working. So, like, I didn't need to make money right now right. so I could afford to, you know, take my time a little bit. Although it wasn't like I had infinite time. So, when I pitched them, I mean, I was pretty upfront that, you know, I'm a new writer. I understand a lot of this stuff. And mostly what I really was looking for, it was less about making a lot of money on the front end. And it was a lot more about having, uh, like, mentorship and training. And so, uh, I was willing to trade on the front. It kind of was like, I don't really care what you pay me. Like, yeah, I mean, pay me, but mostly what I care about is, you know, is someone going to be here to, to basically teach me how to write and how to you know do well for you. And so that was kind of where it started. It was really focused on, you know, I want to be here for a while. I want to learn how to do this. And I did that or did that not help? I have no idea. I like to think it does. And Strangely enough, so originally they offered me a $2,000 a month retainer to basically work like 20 hours a week. And I actually wound up turning that down. And I just told them, I'll tell you what, just pay me for the work that I do instead. And they're like, okay. So what did that look like? You know, pay me for my work. Was that like hourly or by project? And you know, how much? Yeah. So we came up with a price grid with, um, I, I can't tell you how much I got paid, but it wasn't a lot. <laughs> It wasn't a lot, so but it was like emails, advertorials. You know, we're talking like hundred would be generous kind of thing. So I wasn't getting paid a lot, but you know, there was also opportunities for royalties on some of these things, and you know, there's some other bigger projects that I wound up getting to do. But it was like, all right, I just kind of started on some emails, and which were horrible when I started, and got okay with those, and then you know, did some advertorials as well, did some space ads, and then. My first exciting project was a renewal letter, which was three email sequence. So uh, it's really fancy. And then I did a two-page print renewal letter after that. And probably like three, after three months of, you know, that. So, I mean, I was making, I don't know, you know, a couple grand per month kind of thing, maybe. So, you know, I think my first month I made like $300. And then, you know, it kind of got bigger after that. And then... By month three, I got to do it was a free book plus shipping offer, and that's like a several thousand dollar job that they paid me for generously. Like, I didn't know how to price it, and I was just kind of like, "What are you going to pay me for?" And they're like, "We'll pay you this much," and I was like, "That's way more than I thought." So sweet, I'll take it. <laughs> and then it just kind of went from there, and got some royalty checks coming in after that. And yeah, I mean, like I started, I started getting paid zero dollars, literally, and then maybe like a couple hundred. And then, you know, six months down the road, I was making 10 grand a month. Wow. So how did you leverage that relationship then with Agora into more jobs and more clients? Sure. So the nice part about the way that I did it is that 
I specifically did it this direction because in sales, you know, having power names is super important. You know, when you've got that customer on your sheet and you can say, well, who else does business with you? And you just kind of point, like, all right, well, this guy does. And like, all right, that sounds good. So, you know, as soon as I, I tell people, they're like, yeah, great. Like, who else do you work with? Agora. Like, okay. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> you can write with us now. All right, we'll, we'll try you out. And that really, again, it's, it just sounds so simple, but like, I really don't have to sell people on anything. They just sort of just take it at face value that I know what I'm doing, even if I don't, which is, you know, whatever. So that, that really gave me a lot of credibility. Interestingly enough now, I've actually kind of gone the other direction. So I did take some other clients. I worked with Malden Economics. Um, and how I landed that one, I actually just like went to their investment conference and just met them in person and just pitched them at the conference and they hired me. That worked out really well. But I think copywriters eventually come to this realization that it's way easier just to get paid a lot more money from one or two clients and just get royalties attached to it so that you have high upside than it is to go have like four, five, six clients and constantly having to relearn new things for new projects. So I thought I was going to like, you know, build this massive agency, you know, whatever, you know, that whole thing. And then I started picking up new clients. Like, this is awful. These people are terrible. I hate these, I hate these clients. <laughs> I didn't realize how good I had it over here with Denton Research. And so I kind of like humbly came back and was like, so how about I just work for you? You'll be my one client and I'll, I'll do my other side gig, right? I train copywriters and, you know, do that. But, uh, you know, just be my one client I can pay attention to and, and we can just set this up in a different way. So that, that was actually how that wound up happening after my first year. And I realized that more clients is equals, you know, more problems typically. <laughs> Yeah. So you, we got to back up a bit because you said you went from zero and then you kind of skipped over some parts. And then you said, I got to 10 K a month. I don't know how many months it took you to get there. I imagine not many. So I'm wondering, well, how did you jump so quickly? I mean, granted, yes, it's you're in the financial copywriting. We know it pays well, but it seems like you were taking whatever they were giving you and then you made your way up. Is it just that they started to see your value, you were improving, and then Agoro started paying you more? What did that look like in that in-between stage? A couple of things happened. So once I did that first free book plus shipping offer, and so that meant I was doing... So it was a 10-page sales letter in an order form. I started to get a couple more of those, that type of format. I had some other clients that you know, I wound up just pitching some jobs to. So that kind of supplemented some of that. Um, royalties showed up. So that, that also helped out a lot. It's, it's nice when you get a, a multi-thousand dollar royalty check in the mail to, to pad your income. But um, really, I think what freelancers miss is that your real value is that you have to pitch your clients on ideas and jobs at some point, really all the time. And especially in finance that I think most writers have this fantasy that they're just going to get told what to do and they'll just be like an employee and their job's going to be super easy when really it's like my job is to come up with new ideas all the time. And like most of them, you know, either aren't good or don't work, but that's how that goes. I think at one point, really it's like for three months, I think on a weekly basis, I was pitching them on new ideas just all the time. And you know, a bunch of those ideas we either didn't do. Some of them went to other writers, which was fine. And I think really it was just that like constant, constant pitching of, you know, I want to make you guys more money. Here's some ideas. Like, let's, let's do something. That's really what happened. It, and it, or there's some specific, sure, like I got flown up to Baltimore 
you know, as part of some meetings and we reworked some retainer things. I was part of some bigger projects, but really it just came down to that. I just pitched them all the time. I still do. And I just pitch them all the time on, you know, here's some ideas. You want to try them? And then they're like, all right, sweet. Let's, let's do that. And then you get paid. So. so the idea of pitching, is this informal? Like you have an idea, so you just send off an email or is there, do you have, you know, a call set up? How do you pitch the ideas to your clients? So it works a little bit differently now that I'm, I'm kind of more part of the, uh, the actual copy team. But yeah, in the beginning, I also don't think most people appreciate just how much effort goes into like staying at the top of your game in any, really in any niche, but especially financial. So I'll probably spend, you know, 20 hours a week just reading stuff. And then, yeah, it's like send them off an email like, hey, this is in the news. Here's an idea for a new advertorial we could do for this promo. Do you want to do it? And then they'll be like, yeah, I write it up. Or, hey, I've got an idea for you know, some ads for this. You know, do you need more space ads for this thing? Write you up some new ones. Or, hey, uh, here, I've got a new idea for a lead on this promo based off of this. Do you want to do it? And just kind of make it easy. It's a lot easier than saying, like, hey, do you have work you need done? And the answer is like, yeah, they <laughs> do. But that's a different story. But it, it's a whole different thing. You come to them and you say, here's some new fresh ideas. Do you like them or do you not like them? And then the publisher or the copy chief can just say yes do that. Right. So again, let's back up just a little bit. You've mentioned royalties a few times. And I think for a lot of copywriters, royalties are sort of this, you know, golden bucket of gold <laughs> at the end of the rainbow or, you know, the, the golden chalice that we get for, you know, having a great career and eventually you get there. But obviously you started with royalties very early in your career. How is the typical royalty structured for you and what you do? And, you know, just tell us, about what that looks like. So again, I can't give you specific numbers, but I can give you some some ideas as to how this works, at least in the financial publishing industry. So basically, you just got to realize that if, if you're making your client money, you should be entitled to the upside. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being a salesperson, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm not going to argue. So, but I think that's, that's like a key mentality here, right? Where it's like, Again, you know, I'm not pitching people on writing blog posts or, you know, content marketing or any of these other kind of fluffy things. And, and not to like downplay or uh, diminish anyone where that's kind of the writing style they do. But, you know, if you want to make real money as a copywriter, then you need to understand that, you know, you can't get paid more than the value that you create for your clients. It's just that math doesn't work for anyone. So, you know, if you make your clients more money, you can always structure that deal again, I think people are short-sighted in the sense that they'll opt for short-term guaranteed pay over long-term, you know, speculative pay, which could be a bad move depending on who your client is. I don't always recommend that. You know, if you got a company like Agora who's got a 30-plus year track record of paying out royalties and paying really well for a copywriter, you know, that's a pretty safe bet. So number one, right, if you want royalties it's substantially easier just to go right for a company who's already used to paying royalties. There's no like, there's no haggling. Well, you haggle about the price about what royalties you're going to get, but it's super, super hard to pitch some small business owner on the idea of giving you royalties. They're just not going to do it. Right. And more to the yeah. point, right? Like for you to make that worth it for either of you, the level of good you have to be is substantial, right? Like if you've got someone, you know, unless they've got like a really solid media buyer they really understand how to scale campaign you know, or they have like a gigantic email list. It's, it's just not happening. They don't have the cash flow to make that work. Um, so 
I think where people get caught up is they try and you know they're trying to squeeze blood from a stone. They're they're hoping that somehow this small seven figure business owner is gonna somehow decide that yeah you know what we're gonna we're gonna give you like a ten percent royalty on this and make a million dollars off this next thing. It's just like it's not gonna happen. <laughs> so part of that is just is just getting in front of bigger clients, which we can probably talk a whole podcast about. The other thing is just asking for them, and I think this is really where sales ability, really more specifically confidence, is that. You have to ask. And if you don't ask for them, you're probably not going to get it. So like the only thing I do not get paid a royalty on is emails. So if we're just sending Lyft letters. So Lyft letter, by the way, for people who don't know what that is, is so we'll send out our daily editorial stuff. So all of our editors will send out their commentary on the financial markets and whatever. And then we'll have specific marketing-driven emails. So it'll be you know, 200, 300 words where we just want them to click and then go over to the video sales letter or whatever. So that is the only thing that I do not make a royalty off of. But if it's um, a renewal, which is basically we want someone who is subscribed to one of our products to re-up their subscription. If it's if it's front-end acquisition, so right, if we're driving cold traffic and uh, they're, pick, you know, they're buying something, I get paid off that. If it's a back-end product, so one of our more expensive higher-end stuff, you know, and I I'm, and I'm, you know, write a promotion for that, I'll get paid off that. I'll get paid off the advertorial for how well the advertorial converts. So I see like these people that charge like, yeah, we charge like $1,000 for an advertorial. I think that's crazy. A, like a good for you for getting that much, but it's like, man, I get paid way less on that up front, but I have royalties attached to all those advertorials because like one really, really good landing page could generate a lot more than that in royalties. Can you share, and if you can't share exact numbers, but just in general, what is a good structure for a royalty? Like, what should we be looking for, especially if we're, if we're approaching a royalty agreement for the first time? What is a good structure to start with? Uh, sure. So, what, we'll avoid good and bad since that's super subjective, but here's a framework that's just helpful that will make you sound like you know what you're doing. Yeah. So, that's what we want. Typically, how we want to think about our royalty deals is front-end versus back-end, right? So front-end is going to be right acquiring a new customer, which is where typically the best royalties are going to come from because, right, if you can bring in new customers into a business, you have a lot of value to your customer. So you want to get paid well on that. And then the back-end is going to be, all right, so what happens, you know, they buy that first thing, you know, we want them to buy a you know, second, third, and fourth thing, and you want to get paid on that. So with a big direct response marketing company like Agora, who really understands how to monetize those names, they are able to pay you more for all of this stuff because they know what they're doing. And so what will typically happen is, so for me, I get paid a fixed dollar per new name that comes into the file. So you hear about these campaigns. So let's say I write a package and you know we run it and we bring in 10,000 new subscribers, paid subscribers into the file. So it, it doesn't matter if that product is $49, $79, $129, you know, whatever. We're going to price that product so that it's easy to get a new subscriber. And we're typically going to do that at a loss, by the way. So we're, we're typically going to bring in new customers at 80%. So if so for every $100 that we spend on traffic, we'll get $80 in front end revenue. And I don't want to get too in the weeds on here, but you, you need to understand that like 
but we lose money on the front to acquire the subscriber and we make it up on the back. So, right. That's because the funnels are all are, you know, engineered to sell a second, third product. And that's really where the money is made. Yeah, exactly. So what will happen is I'll get paid a dollar per name that comes in. And so, you know, just do the math, right? So let's say it's a $10,000 or you bring in 10,000 names, right? So, right. If you're getting paid a dollar per name, that's 10, right? If you get paying two, it's, it's $20,000, right? Do the math, right? It, it gets pretty big depending on what your thing is. And then for the advertorial, so let's say someone else writes, writes the thing and I'm writing the advertorial, I'll get paid, you know, not nearly as much, but I will get paid, you know, some amount per name that, you know, that comes through that advertorial because that piece is so important. So that's typically how we structure it there is it's just a flat fee for the new name that comes in through the top. And then it'll be a percentage on the back. And if three to 5% is going to be pretty normal for a back end, because again, right, like we're spending a lot of money on the acquisition. But you know, when you have a multi, you know, thousand dollar product, three to five percent adds up pretty quickly. And you aren't taking anything on the front end just as the base, just like, hey, let's, you know, five thousand dollars just to start for your time and then royalty, or is it zero up front and just purely royalty? Yeah, so at this point my, my deal's different. I just have a retainer and so we just made that easier. Yeah. But for, for a while, yeah, it'd be well, I actually did it really strangely. So I didn't ever mess around with this like half up front, half on completion stuff. That just seemed way too complicated and like too much accounting. And so basically what I did is I just sent them an invoice at the end of the month and they just paid me in full for whatever it is that I did. And that worked out well for me. I don't know if I'd recommend that. That's probably not always the best strategy, but I figured this is a legit company and they'll, they'll pay me. But um, yeah, I, I have a writing fee. So basically at the end of the month, it'd be here's the projects I did. Here's the fee. And they just pay it for me. And then at that point, I was on twice a year. I get royalties for everything. And now I'm, uh, I'm quarterly is, is what my, my royalty payout is. Okay, so let's change directions just a little bit and talk about some of the work that you've done that you're most proud of and you know why it was so successful or what you did to make it successful. All right, so I'll, I'll say something that's going to be slightly surprising. Well, maybe not, but I, I find it surprising. All right. So I have never written a video sales letter, like some you know 45-minute thing. I've never done a 50-page package. I've never done really long format stuff. I've done a webinar funnel for like an internet marketing person before. But I don't think that really counts, though. It's like not a real sales letter. But I just want to make this on the table that I made... You know, $145,000 my first year as a copywriter, not writing any long form copy. So the longest thing that I wrote were book offers and that was a 10 pager. And really the reason why I did well was because of royalties is because I wrote stuff that worked. And I think the thing that I guess I'm most proud of and the thing that worked the best. So I, I write for Dent Research. So Harry Dent is our, is our guy, a relatively well-known person in the financial space. He's been around. His first book was like in 1989. He's, you know, he was very popular for several decades. So he had a, a new book that came out last year called Sale of a Lifetime. And I wrote the book promo for that. Probably wrote it in two weeks, front to back. And you know, we still run it today. And that's that one promotion that I've done that was, you know, 10 pages long. It's been really successful. It's going to be brought in. It's in the you know multiple tens of thousands of new names to the list in that one promotion, and we you know we still 
repurpose and reuse that copy for other stuff. So that's that's been cool. I've been, I've been I've enjoyed that. I think the other coolest part is just getting to be part of a copy team now is really cool and, and getting to go up to Baltimore. I think I go every two months now, something like that, for creative meetings. I get to go to the franchise meetings and hang out with the team and, and the editors. And I don't know, it just it feels cool. It feels fun to to feel like I'm part of like a really like legit marketing team with super sharp people and, and all that. So so that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear, you mentioned that you had no background in finance, I believe. That's what you said. And for someone who might be listening, you know, who like me does not have a background in finance, but is curious and has wondered, well, maybe I could do this too and likes a challenge. What would you say to someone who wants to jump into it or just test it and see if it's a good fit? Sure. So we'll have like, like a, like a hashtag no, no plug here. I do run a mastermind program. And this is the strategy that I teach. I just tell people to do it the way I did through short form copy. And again, I, I think that it's unfortunate how much weight people put on packages in the copywriting world. And yeah, right. Do long form promos and BSLs and all those things are, do those bring in a lot of money? They totally do. But I just think it's so unrealistic for a new writer to go from, I'm not all that experienced to writing a, like a 45 page package, which just seems like you're setting yourself up for failure. I just don't get franchises that like, really that's what they want. They want people to write packages when there's, there's just so much other work in the funnel that needs to get done. That would be substantially lower risk for the client to try out on than to give you 10, $20,000 to write some packages that bombs and they spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars running traffic to it. So it's, it's just so much easier just to like write emails or write advertorials, or write some space ads and just you know, get familiar with kind of the tone and style of the franchise and get some repetitions at just trying out new ideas and hooks and angles. Just really kind of getting your feet wet with the reality, which is most of this job is research and knowing like what's happening right now. The writing part is actually kind of easy which I don't know if that's like a sacred cow or anything like that. But the hard part, it's nailing your idea. It's having a really compelling and exciting idea. And it's really, it's getting your headline and lead. I'd say probably 80% of it is probably like your first five sentences of like the sales letter. It's like nailing your headline with, you know, having the exciting idea and getting just that opening lead portion down. And, you know, if you can't do that, it doesn't really matter. But if you can, the rest of the, like, it doesn't matter what you're writing. It kind of writes itself. And really the way that you get, you know, repetitions doing that is it's ad copy. Like that's where you get good at writing. All right. I got 300 characters to write something exciting. What do I do? Or, you know, I need to do this in 200 words. How do I move this along really fast and get the pacing and tone right? And that's how I think it's the easiest way to start in and really any niche is, is you just do that. So hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, no, it, it does. Yeah. So Jake, on your website, which we'll link to in the show notes, you make a promise that, you know, readers are only six months away from doubling their income. If I want to double my income, what are those steps that I need to be taking in order to do that? I feel like embarrassed. It's, it's like the cobbler children has no <laughs> shoes. Like I don't think I've touched that and I don't know, since I started. I actually built that website as a way to like quote position myself way, way back when. And right, like now I like I barely have time to, you know, email people back. Anyway, but it's true. Doubling your income 
when, uh, whenever you're in a sales oriented position where you, know, you can you can get paid for the value that you create for someone, it's really, really easy to make more money. And I think what's really challenging for most people is that unless you came from straight commission sales and you know you've had that experience where really like what's holding you back from you know making you know from going from one thousand dollar a month to ten thousand dollar a month really it comes down to your attitude, your confidence level, your belief in yourself, and yet yeah, like some work habits and there is some technical stuff that's in there. But how do you double your income? Number one is go after bigger clients with more money. That's that's step one. So if you're if you're not making six figures right now, I mean I do it with one client consistently. It's it's just not that hard. Which you know I don't want to belittle anyone who's having trouble doing that, but you know, making six figures just isn't that complicated. A huge portion of it is just people's belief about how much they're worth and how much they can make, and they don't want to like negotiate with people to get better deals for stuff that they're already doing. Okay, so. Two parts to this, you know, what is the mindset they need? I mean, yes, they need confidence, but what is that mindset shift that you experience? Especially, I know, again, on your website, you said you've had 80,000 sales calls. Like you've done the work somewhere in there. You had a mindset shift. What does that look like for copywriters? And then I have a second part to that question. So one of the big challenges for me from going from sales to selling professional services is that when I was in sales, I was selling a product, right? So it could be a good product, it could be whatever. But I, you know, if I had a lot of confidence that the product was good, that it was going to help the customer, and they should buy it, it really wasn't too hard to pitch that. Yeah, you, sh- you should buy this. It's good. You'll like it. Once I sell that product, I'm kind of out of the picture. Now it's you know, if something goes wrong, it's the product's fault or something, right? And so it was really challenging is going to professional services where now you're selling someone really on you and your ability to deliver some kind of work. And where, and this, you know, imposter syndrome, am I a fraud? Can I do this? Yes, I've dealt with all those things. And a lot, really what this comes down to is when you take the focus off of yourself, which is where most people have, and it's kind of like, mentality is, is, you know, what, what can my client do for me? How can I get paid more? It's kind of very self-centered. It's like, how do I extract more money out of these people? And you really just shift your thinking to how can I create more value? How can I deliver more results? How can I make this easy for this person to, to compensate me for what I do? And, you know, some of those things are kind of like the intangibles where it's like, you know, hitting deadlines, being easy and pleasant to work with. Like, do you come up with good ideas? You know, do you write at least decent copy? <laughs> Doesn't have to be awesome. Just like, is it, is it good? And is it decent? Is it good enough? And also just like really understanding that there's going to be some types of clients and some niches that are really going to be a good fit for you long term. And I think, I think really it takes about 90 days to where if you really just make a commitment that I'm just going to learn just everything about this. And, you know, I'm going to read all the competition stuff. I'm going to read all this client stuff and really just understand like what's going on in this person's business. It's not difficult to see ways that you can add a lot of value to the client, but like, yeah, that takes a lot of work. Most people don't like to hear that, but it's not difficult to, if you want to get paid $10,000 a month, you know, just do some math. How much money would you need to make for that client? Well, probably like five or 10 X what you charge. Well, you know, 
they've got a big list that they're not mailing every day. And if you come in and you're like, great, I'll just mail your list for you every single day. It's just not that hard to make that guy an extra fifty to $100,000 a month from just taking over the emails. But if you don't dig into it and you don't understand how this, this business owner is running their business and like where are their bottlenecks and how can you come in and like open stuff up or take stuff off that person's plate so they can they can move on to other higher dollar per activities. Like if you don't understand how the business is run, it's very challenging for you to sell yourself on, yeah, I can create a hundred thousand dollars per month in value for you because I'm gonna do this, this and this, and you're gonna get, you know, these results as because of that. I love that. And I think the second part to that question is on your website, you also mentioned the secret to getting more millionaire clients. And most of copywriters we've worked with in our accelerator program and in our Facebook group often ask, okay, well, where do I find these clients? Like, I know my copywriting is improving. I'm getting more confidence. I can pitch myself. But where are these clients who can pay more and, and kind of move me to this next level? You, you know, you did it. You found Agora and you did it early on, which isn't as typical for most copywriters. So what can the copywriter listening do right now to find these clients who maybe have millions and can kind of be that next tier for them? Sure. So this is also really, really counterintuitive, and which is why most people don't do it. It's actually easier to get top-end clients. In any sales job I've ever done, it's, it's substantially easier to go sell stuff to people with more money. And there's two reasons. One is... Typically, bigger businesses and more successful people, they just have more experience hiring consultants and outside people. Like they, they're used to this transaction before. And so they just, they're willing to do it. And they're also a lot busier. And so the money value of the time is very, very high. And so it intuitively makes sense for those business owners to hire other people and, you know, and find good talent, right? So like they're already at that level. Whereas a lot of times, small business owners, you know, it's a solo entrepreneur, they're like most business owners who are complete control freaks. They're not willing to let go of things and they, they just, they're not there. But where people get hung up is that they don't know this, number one. They just never considered that it'd be easier. But then they also just have confidence of like, oh, like I'm not good enough. Well, like they just have all this bad self talk about that. So, and really part of this is if you go back to what we just talked about and you really focus on, becoming an expert inside whatever industry that you want to work in. You know who all the players are. You know what's going on. Pretty quickly, you realize that you're probably the smartest person in the room. It just <laughs> doesn't take that long. And I think like that builds a lot of confidence in people where when I was entering a new market and like I didn't know what I was doing, I just read a lot of stuff and I started talking to other people and I was like, wow, you're not, you're not actually smarter than I am. You don't know more about this. <laughs> There's no actual reason why you're making more money than me. So like, why am I not? And it's just the answer is because I didn't try and didn't ask. So from a tactical perspective, like how do you go find these people? Well, make a list of who's mailing stuff. Who are the biggest people in your niche? Who's running ads? If you have Facebook, who's running ads? Just look at those people because they're running ads. They're spending money on traffic, right? If you're surfing the web and you see those outplacement ads to, you know, health supplements or financial promise or whatever, right? Like those are people that are spending money growing their business. So look for those people and aim high right from the beginning. It wasn't harder for me to get Agora as a client. It was just different. Right? Like the steps were not that complicated. Yeah, it took a little bit of persistence, but I just don't think that most people realize that like 
everyone in our industry is desperate for copywriters. Like everyone. We're all looking for copywriters all the time. <laughs> and, and that's true for any big publisher, right? And again, I think a lot of this comes back down to is most people don't understand what's going on inside of an eight-figure, nine-figure business. And like the reality is, is all those businesses are they just they have this beast that just constantly needs to get fed more copy all the time. And like they're desperate for new writers that can help do that. And they're willing to take a chance on younger writers who maybe don't have the best skill but are you know, willing to stick it out and stay there long term because no one makes money turning over copywriters or you know, revenue producing people. Like They need people to stay long term. And so when you realize that, hey, you want to go write for Evan Pagan or Jeff Walker or any of these people, like really it just comes down to is just starting the conversation with these people and communicating like, I want to write for you and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to do that. And it'll probably take you one or two months to make that happen if you don't have like some serious track record. But like they need you more than you need them. As weird as that sounds, but it's true. And that's a total mind shift. Like yeah. copywriters think the other way around. There's way too many of us yeah. and not enough of them. Yeah. Jake, before we wrap, I want to ask one final question. And you know, you <laughs> I love this conversation because you've approached everything from a totally different way than the majority of copywriters. And it's been effective. It's worked. So I wonder what you think, you know, kind of like the copywriter's dream life, you know, what that looks like for you. Have you already reached it where like you're in with Agora and then you have like your side, you know, mastermind and other programs? Like, I want you to help us all think bigger because you already think big, but a lot of people don't. So how can we all think bigger about what we are capable of as copywriters? All right. So this is always a fun conversation for me to have. And I'll just preface this. The, the choices that I've made are very, very different from the choices that other people want to make. And I totally respect that. For me, I think really the most important thing that people need to let go of is this, the internet marketing lie that all of us have been sold for years. That we're going to wake up and piles of money are going to hit our bank account and this automated money machine that we've created and like, you know, six-figure royalty checks, and like all of just this, everything that basically comes down to easy, instant riches, and you'll have no more responsibilities ever again. Like that just isn't real. I'm sorry. It's just not. And the sooner that you accept that, that that's just not real, the faster you'll make a lot of progress in your life. So with that being said, for me, I have made plenty of money in my life, had all kinds of fun stuff. I'm definitely like a high achieving oriented person. And like the idea of sitting on a beach doing nothing drives me crazy. I don't think I could do that for longer than a week. I just need something to do. And not everyone's like that. And so for me, what I decided and why I really love copywriting is that I wanted to put myself in a position where I could do work that was fun and enjoyable for me. So like I wanted to do something that I would do even if I didn't get paid. And I happen to love marketing and direct response. And like, I, I'm a very analytical person. Like I like puzzles. And so it's really enjoyable to have a, a work where I can spend a lot of time by myself and reading and being very introspective. And then I can write and go over it and like build stuff like that type of stuff is fun and fulfilling for me. So by the way, if you're a copywriter and you don't like to write or do research, you really need to reconsider your choices here. Yeah. <laughs> just by the way, 
So more for me was just like, I really want to put myself kind of like on a career path of mastery where I can continue to get in flow states and get better and challenge myself and compete and kind of continue to, to move forward. And yeah, and I do want to get compensated really well. And it's super sweet that I can take my work anywhere I want to and I can do fun things. But like a high percentage of my day every day goes into thinking about how do I get better at writing copy and coming up with new ideas. And that in itself is enjoyable for me, right? I think that's like the key thing that you really got to understand is that if you're focused on the money, you know, like, like the end of the rainbow picture where you're going to be this part-time A-lister who makes hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're never going to put in the work it takes to get to that level of good where you can do that. And I think that it's destructive. But if you focus on how can I build a career that I find inherently enjoyable for me and copywriting or you know, whatever fits the bill and you find the right clients and partners where you know it's fun to go to work, I think that's really what creates an enjoyable life. It might be that's a small client and, and you might love making whatever that you make, but it's super enjoyable writing for nonprofits. And like that's really what is fulfilling for you. I don't want to take that away from anyone. For me, I love financial because this is where all the best writers come to play. So like I'm competing against Mark Ford and Clayton Makepeace, and like every name that you've ever heard of, they're all writing financial. David Deutsch, like these are all where they are. And I think that's fun. I think it's exciting. So that's probably a good place to stop. We're out of time. Yeah. Jake, if people want to connect with you, learn more about you, where would they find you online? So I like to joke that I'm on the internet. So Facebook, probably the easiest thing. I run a little Facebook group called the Freelance Financial Copywriter. If any of you guys, are interested in being super nerdy and looking at marketing campaigns. Otherwise, yeah, website's jakehoffberg.com. Email me at jake at jakehoffberg.com. Yeah, I'm around. I think I've got a LinkedIn profile still, probably. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Jake. This has been really, really enjoyable. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Music.